0: Thanks for listening to the Faith Assembly of God podcast. Please join us at 9 11 a.m. at the main campus, and 11 a.m. at the Mux Corner, Remount, and North Charleston campuses. Thank you for listening, and we hope that God blesses you through doing so. Take your Bibles out and turn to 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19. We are... In the story, and we're about halfway through, and we are at that point where it's time to recalculate. Israel's getting off track. They're getting off course. They're going into the lakes, and they're going uh, following idolatry, and they are getting messed up. And God keeps reaching out to Israel. And so he is going to send prophets. We are at the latter part of the Old Testament. We are coming into the prophets and uh, in, the, in the way it's broke up, in the Old Testament, you have the four major prophets. The rest are considered minor prophets, not because their message was any less important, but because the books are shorter. So the four major prophets have the longer books in the Old Testament, and then you have the minor prophets. And we're coming into that stage in the story, and we're going to learn, we're going keep on finding our place. What, what is God saying to us? What is he speaking to us through his word? And, and many of us need to recalculate our own lives and get back on on course and we've gotten on course and god is faithful and he'll use his word to be that gps to get us back on the right track let's stand together and read from god's word today first kings chapter 19 we're looking at an incredible prophet and i think someone that every one of us in the house can relate to today first kings 19 and verse number one and now ahab told jezebel everything elijah Not to be confused with Elisha, who was on the screen there. This guy, this Elijah was much better looking than Elisha. And (laughs) let me start over. Now, Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he killed all the prophets with the sword. And so Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life Like one of them, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. He came to the broom tree and sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord. He said, take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Father, today I pray that as we open up your word, you'll open up our hearts this morning. I pray, God, for those who may find themselves today in a cave of discouragement, that you'll bring refreshing and healing and speak to their hearts this morning, we pray. We love you, God. We ask all this in your mighty name. Amen. Turn to someone, tell them they look great today, and then you may be seated Anybody in here ever get cranky? <laughs> I thought I might be the only one. Get tired, get irritable. Everybody's driving you crazy. I, I mean, I mean, it just it just gets you get sour. You get in that sour mood, and sometimes uh, you even get tired of being good. Mothers, don't you just want to once tell your kids, get your own food. Make your own lunch. And you even get tired of, of being good. And you get tired of serving God. And you get tired of trying to do all the right things. And trying to make everybody happy. And you get to that point where you burn out. Burn out. We all get there. Aren't you glad God never gets tired of doing good? Never, he never tires of, of doing good. And even when life isn't always good, God is always good. Say, let's say that together. God is good. Say it together. God is good. Always. Even though we often are not. Now, Elijah finds himself in this cave of despair. And I could relate to Elijah. I, I, I can't understand how he might have felt. And he said, you know what? I, I, I've had enough, God. I'm trying to serve you, doing the best I can. Lord, just kill me now. Just, just take me right now. Now, we've got to ask ourselves this morning, how how do we get in that place? How do we find ourselves in that place, that, that cave of discouragement? And, and more importantly, how do we get out of that place? How do I get out of that cave of discouragement? Because I want to tell you, it's a miserable place to be in. No fun being there in that, in that cave. Now, let me give you a little background to tell you how we get to this point in the story. And I want to just kind of, Fill in some of the gaps. We've been studying along in the story together. Took a little break over Christmas. We're back at it this morning. And so let me tell you where we're at. Israel is now a divided kingdom. You have Israel in the north. It was made up of ten tribes. It divided after the reign of Solomon. Jeroboam, Rehoboam split the kingdom right down the middle. And Judah was the southern tribes. It was made up of the tribe of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin. And, and yet they kept turning into idolatry. They kept getting away from God. They kept getting away from their foundations. And so what happens is we are at the point in God's story where he is sending these messengers to the nations uh, to bring the nations back to repentance. Now over a span of the next 208 years, he will send nine prophets to Israel. Israel is the northern kingdom. Elijah and Elisha and seven others were prophets to Israel, the tribes in the north. Now, as you study it, it can be confusing because it doesn't always, as you begin to read the latter part of the Old Testament, sometimes you don't know where you're at. You don't know who they're talking to, kind of what's happening in the story. It's not always in a chronological order, it is more like headlines. It's like picking up a newspaper on any given day and reading the headlines at what is happening. In the nation of Israel at that time. And so that's kind of maybe helped you get a little better understanding of what's going on. The most famous prophet possibly of all of them was a man by the name of Elijah. And Elijah is one of the prophets. He didn't write his own book. Many of the prophets wrote books that we have now in the Old Testament. He did not write a book titled Elijah, but we have his story in First and Second Kings and Second Chronicles as well. And he is a prophet to the northern kingdom at a time when they had their very worst king. A king by the name of Ahab. And Ahab has a wife. And she's worse than he is. And he had had this politically arranged marriage with a Sidonian king who gives his daughter so they can make a political alliance with Israel, a lady by the name of Jezebel, to Ahab. listen, Listen, parents, don't name your kids Jezebel. Don't name your daughters Jezebel. It's a name that will go down as infamy, as one of the worst uh, ladies ever to be thought of in history, Jezebel. It's synonymous with evil. And And Jezebel comes along, and she spiritually hijacks God's story by introducing idolatry in a big way into the northern kingdom. In fact, she is so big after idolatry, she personally, out of her own treasure chest, supports 850 prophets, 400 and, um, prophets to Abel and 450 prophets to Asherah. And, and so she supports these idol-worshiping prophets. They came in, they bring with them prostitution. They have both male and female prostitutes who hung out of the temple and all their thing was worshiping before the God of fertility and so that somehow God would bless Israel. But in the meantime, they are bringing a curse down on Israel. And this is when Elijah is there. And there are times in God's story uh, when a battle is done with a touch of dramatic. And that's what you see in Elijah and Ahab. And Elijah says, you know what, first he called famine down, he called a drought down for three and a half years. There's no rain, no water, it's dry. And, and Ahab says, I want to kill you. And he tracks them all over the kingdom. And finally Elijah appears and he says, I'll tell you what, let's decide whose God is God. God. And so they go up on top of Mount Carmel and they have this power confrontation and there's Elijah and there's the one man for God and there's there's 850 prophets up there as well all followers of Jezebel and they said the God who answers by fire he's the God we're going to serve he's the one we're going to follow And so the priests of Baal go first, and they build their altar. And it's a humorous scene. Read it when you get time. They're dancing around this altar. They're cutting themselves. Uh, They're howling. They're screaming. Uh, They're just doing everything they can to bring fire down. They know it's not going to happen, but they go through this whole charade. And Elijah just kind of sits in the background and taunts them. Maybe your gods are on vacation. Maybe they're sleeping right now and you need to wake them up loud, shout louder. And they start screaming louder. And he just, he just roll back and laugh and hoot. Maybe they've gone to the bathroom. And as you study the text in the Hebrew, that's exactly what it means. Your gods are gone. And, and, and then Elijah says, well, it's my turn. And so they build this altar, and he takes water and pours it all around the altar, and not just once, but three times. Now listen to me. These guys haven't anything to drink. Their mouths are parched, and there's, there's a drought, a famine in the land, and Elijah's taking these buckets of water and pouring it all over the altar, and everybody's watching him do that. And he prays this short, simple prayer, and the power of God Comes down, and fire consumes the sacrifice. The people fall prostrate, prostrate, prostrate. Boy, let me get that right. You hadn't messed that up. Prostrate on the ground. Come on, guys, focus, focus with me. Let's get back on the same page here. And they cry out and say, "The Lord, He is God." And revival breaks out. And, 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 and they, all of a sudden, uh, Elijah grabs a sword and they start killing the prophets of Baal and Asherah. All the people kind of jump in. Mob violence takes over and they wipe out 850 prophets on Mount Carmel that day. Talk about a revival. Now up to this point, Elijah's pretty much in control of his life. He is a fearless prophet, zealous prophet. For God, on fire for the Lord. But something happens. Jezebel says, by this time tomorrow, you know all those prophets you killed, it's going to be like you tomorrow. I'm going to kill you, and you're going to be dead. And so for some reason, all of a sudden, it soaks in on what Jezebel had said, and Elijah begins to flee, and he's now a fugitive on the run. And, And the first day, listen to this. He travels 100 miles between uh, between Jezebel and himself. He's getting as far away as he can from this uh, queen of Israel. And so he runs about 100 miles in in one day's period of time. He will eventually leave Israel. He'll travel down through Judah and he'll wind up in Mount Horeb. And this is where we find him in our text right now. He is now out Mount Horeb. And Elijah is there. He is exhausted. He is physically and emotionally wore out it's tired the the believers the the, the that Israel, those few, that remnant of believers in the northern kingdom of Israel, they've now scattered, and they're all hiding for their life because Jezebel's on a rampage. And he's questioning God, and he's saying, "God, why is Ahab still alive? Uh, why is Jezebel still alive? Uh, if you're going to bring revival, why not take cut off the heads? And they're still alive, and they're still in power. And he is afraid for his life. And, and it seems like on the heels of God's very greatest victory, Elijah comes with his greatest time of discouragement does it sound familiar you've been on the mountaintop god's doing incredible things and and, and you're seeing his handiwork and you've been prevailing in prayer. It wasn't an awesome time of prayer and fasting this week. And God's just speaking into your heart and pouring into your life. And, and, and you're pulling down strongholds and you're doing spiritual warfare and you're going to gump up against the enemy and you're rescuing souls from darkness. And almost immediately you can have sometimes what I call a huge letdown. Seems like on, uh, uh, after we have our greatest services on Sunday, and I'm stoked, and I'm man, I'm just so excited about what God's going to do. I get in my office on Monday morning, and the phone rings. Before you know it, just like that, I go down to here. It happens. Vulnerability after victory, and and I think part of the thing may be we feel invincible. And all of a sudden we've won and God's been winning and winning and we're on top and, and we're winning the battles and all if we're not careful, pride'll settle in. And we begin to deal with this pride issue. And, and we, you kind of get a little bit of this in Elijah. In verse number 10, he says, I'm the only one fighting for you. I'm your big dog, God. Uh, I am the one prophet left. I'm fighting for you out there. And you almost get a sense that in Elijah's life, he was also had a little pride just kind of come into his heart. And he felt like he was the lone ranger for justice out there. The result was discouragement. Now, here's the problem, church. Listen to me. If you allow this discouragement to get in your spirit and get a hold of you, some people will give up. And they'll give up on their morals, and they'll get up on their dreams, and they'll give up on their ministry, and they'll give up on their marriage. Uh, And Elijah got so far as he was ready to give up on his life. His life. Maybe you're under a juniper tree or a broom tree of discouragement today and you're worn out and you're confused and you're fearful and you're lonely and you're depressed. And and things just are out of control. And you cry out, God, I've, I've had enough. Had enough. It's all I can take. Just take me out, Lord, right now. Now, if you're there, How do you recalculate your course? If you're in that cave of discouragement, how do you recalculate your life so you can turn and get back in the right direction and get the joy of the Lord back and get to the place where you used to be? I want to give you four things. Take your notes out. Jot these down, I believe, and and hang on to these things. This is going to help you down the road. Uh, Number one, take care of your physical needs. That doesn't sound real spiritual. Don't sound real holy, but take care of your body. Jump down to verse number five. You'll see that's exactly what God did for Elijah. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals, a jar of water. He ate and drank and he lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat. for The journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank, strengthened by that food. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. Every one of us are a tripart being there, There's we're made up of body, soul and spirit. Okay. Body, soul and spirit. I want to tell you, we like to separate things, and we talk a whole lot in church about the spiritual side of man, but those three, body, soul, and spirit, are, are uniquely tied and woven together. And so what happens is when we are wore out Physically, when I am sick in body, when I am tired, it also affects my emotions. Uh, it affects my will. It will also affect your soulish part of man and your spirit part of man uh, because of the way God made us. Everything perfectly fits together. Now, let's go back to Elijah. You can imagine he is wore out. His arms and shoulders are probably tired from wheeling a sword and chopping off people's heads. That'll, that'll take its toll on you. Don't know how many have done that lately. We do that with our mouth now. But his shoulder's shot, his arm's shot, his, his legs are on fire. He has been running, he has been hiking from Mount Carmel. Some hundred miles, he is starving because he hasn't had any food to eat. He's been in this power encounter, and so I don't know how long he has been without food, uh, and he is slap wore out. Now, God responds to Elijah's discouragement with grace. I, I, I read an article by David Wilkerson, and he describes him dispatching an angel to go down and take food to Elijah. And this is what he said Be patient with him, he's hurting. Confused and full of questions. He thinks he wants to die, but he really wants to live. He feels useless at the end of his rope, but I still love him. I've got more work for him to do in my kingdom. Feed him and refresh him. He can't make it without eating the food I supply. You see, God is always feeding and refreshing. Feeding and and refreshing and when you're fatigued and when you get irritable and 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 i I know uh, you know when 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 my brother and i were kids my mom used to she said it if she said it once she said it a thousand times you boys are getting on my nerves you ever said it or not but we had a way of getting on mom's nerves i didn't know exactly what that meant but it wasn't good sometimes when we get fatigued and we get irritable we tend to run away from people And we pull back and we isolate ourselves. Uh, Listen, when you are wore out and fatigued, that is the wrong response. The issue is not other people. The issue is fatigue. So you need to physically take care of yourself. Let me tell you some things, guys. It's a new year. But exercise, rest, food. You need to keep your body in shape. Your body is the temple of the Lord. The Holy Spirit dwells in this earthen vessel. Take care of it. You are a steward of God's property. And that includes your body. And if you do, if you take care of yourself, you will feel better and you'll be happier. Also, spiritual food. Aren't you glad God comes in our times of fatigue and discouragement? And he feeds us spiritually Now, I don't know exactly what Elijah ate, what kind of cake it was, but most scholars agree it was angel food cake. You'll get it. it. Think about it for a moment. You'll get it. Listen, feed on God's word. Feed on the word of God. Drink of his Holy Spirit. Wait in his presence. Allow God to refresh you and lift you up. Uh, Confess the word of God in your life. Uh, Begin to intercede and pray in the spirit. And the Bible says he will build up your spiritual man. And so when you're discouraged and when you're down, get the word of God out and pour your heart into it and let it feed your soul. Number two. You're in that cave of discouragement. Listen to God's gentle whisper. Listen to God's gentle whisper. Look at verses nine. Let's pick it up there. The story. There he went into a cave. He spent the night. The word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars and Put your prophets to death with a sword, and I am the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there came an earthquake The Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. Listen, we, many times we we can't hear God's voice. And we say, God, where are you? God, I, I can't hear you. And we feel alone and, and we're discouraged, but so often we are looking for some kind of supernatural revelation of God. And we, want, we expect God to speak by lighting up the skies uh, and knocking us down and doing something totally glorious and phenomenal. And, and, and that's maybe what Elijah thought would happen, but he wasn't in the whirlwind, he wasn't in the earthquake, he was not in the fire, but God was still speaking But he spoke with a gentle whisper. Listen, sometimes we just need to slow down and tune out all the other distractions and become still before the Lord so we can hear that gentle whisper. But as long as we're on hyperdrive and we're busy and we're doing our own thing and we're running to and fro, then we wonder why we can't hear God's voice. Slow down. God will speak to your spirit through that gentle whisper. You won't hear God above the confusing circumstances that are all around you. You may not hear God's voice among all the negativity your friends are talking about and all the things that are swirling around and the gossip. You might not hear his voice uh, even through your own doubt and confusion, uh, but you've got to slow down and put God first. Uh, And I want to tell you, God will be faithful because he often speaks through his love and his grace and he's speaking to you. you just got to slow down long enough to hear that. Gentle whisper, gentle whisper. And God in his gentle whisper says to Elijah, Elijah, I'm not not trying to kill you. I want to slow you down. I want to recalculate your direction. I I want to get you going back in in the right direction. And I think sometimes secretly we want God to show his power and take care of all the wicked ones in our life all those people that are driving us crazy. And so we say, God, wipe them out, take care of them. Uh, But God wants to speak to your heart. And he simply says, I love you and that's enough. I'll bring you through. I'll bring you through it. Whatever it is you're going through. You see, we typically don't receive direction from the Lord when we're on the run. We've got to slow down. I've heard People say uh, many times, Pastor, I just, I just can't fit one more thing into my schedule. My schedule is just so full. Slow down. Listen to God's gentle whisper. Now what happens is if you'll slow down long enough and hear God's voice, he will begin to readjust your priorities. He'll begin to speak to you about your schedule and about your agenda, and he will tell you where to go. He will tell you how to serve him. He will tell you what to do. And as long as you're hearing God's voice and on the same page with God, it brings with that a peace of God that passes all understanding. It it, it it's 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 not our schedule; it's His schedule. You've you've heard the expression: if you're in business at all, work smart. And it just simply means make the best use of your time and work smart and reorganize your priorities. And there's a thousand management books out there, One Minute Manager, about how to manage your life and how to work smarter. Listen, uh, in the kingdom life, it's serve smart. Serve smart. It's putting God first and then surrendering your schedule to him and saying, God, I'm yours so I want to be on your agenda. I want to follow your guidelines. And and in you doing that, that's where the peace and the joy comes from. And so slow down long enough to hear God's still small voice. Number three, you need to begin to look through the lens of faith, especially when you're in that cave of discouragement. Look through that lens of faith. Jump down to verse number 13 as we pick up our story. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled the cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left and now they're trying to kill me too. Now jump down. Here's the lens of faith. Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and all whose mouths have not kissed him. Twice, God says to Elijah, what are you doing here? Two times. I read it in the last point and I read it again in this point. It looked like I was reading the same verses for a minute. And God says to Elijah, what are you doing here? Now, he didn't necessarily mean so much the location where he was at at that time. But but what are you doing here talking about saying, God, kill me? In verse 14, he cries out, Jezebel's trying to kill me. You know, if, if he really wanted to die, all he had to do was hang around Jezebel. He'd have been put to death. He is one messed up dude. He runs for his life 100 miles. And when he gets there, when he gets away from Jezebel, then he says, God, you kill me. He can't make up his mind. He's confused. And then he says, you know what, God, I'm the only one doing something for you. I'm I'm out here by myself. And and in some ways, he's implying a couple of things. First of all, he's implying, God, it's your fault. You're not doing enough. You read that in there? Read between the lines. God, this is all your fault. You're not doing enough. And by the way, there's no one else out there helping me either. Loneliness will magnify your discouragement. Now listen to me. When you're discouraged and you're cranky and you're, you're angry and, you're, and you're, you're, you're really going through those times of depression, if you, will, if you isolate yourself from other people, it will begin to magnify your depression. Depressed people want to go hide in their house, close the blinds, turn the light off, and play some sad music. I want to tell you, that's not the way to get out of depression. It just spirals that whole thing and takes you deeper and deeper into your discour- discouragement, deeper into your oppression. It, it, it magnifies all of those things. Anytime you're in the midst of crisis, what's going to happen is the devil's sitting right here on this shoulder And the Bible says the devil is the accuser of the brethren. And so let me tell you how he comes at you. And you'll recognize this language. He'll say, no one cares about you. No one called you from the church. You've been gone four weeks now and no one's given you a phone call. Pastor hasn't called. No one from the church has called. No one really cares about you. You're all alone. No one really appreciates you. And when you serve, if no one pats you on the back, no one sees what you're doing. They don't see all the service you're fulfilling. I want to tell you, the devil is a liar. He's a liar. First of all, you are not alone. And that's what he tells Elijah. You're not alone. There are 7,000 others still in Israel. God always will have a remnant. Uh, and they have not bowed down to Baal. He's a liar. God will speak. And God always has his remnant. Elijah's frustration was more than just out of fear. You know he, he's willing to take the risk. He, it couldn't have been fear that was driving Elijah on this uh, uh, when he's running for his life. But he's but because he's he's on he was on the mountain and he risked his life on Mount Carmel in the showdown up there. But what happens is he begins to view life from his own limited perspective, and instead of going by faith, Elijah went by feelings. Now listen to me. This is critical. As believers. We don't live our life by feelings. We walk by faith. If you begin to go by what you feel, you will become a target for fear, discouragement, isolation, and depression. Because here's the problem. We never see the whole picture. So when things are going nuts all around us, understand you don't see the whole picture. You're not God. We see everything through the limited understanding of what's happening around us at the moment. But the eyes of faith, you begin to get God's viewpoint and God's pictures. And you begin to see the whole story and it comes to light. said, so there's 7,000 others. Listen, I want to challenge you. When you're down and when you're discouraged, Galatians 6, 9, let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Don't cave into your feelings. Don't isolate yourself. Don't hide in your cave. Find those other believers and talk to them and share with them. Uh, find the 7,000 others out there who are serving the Lord and in the battle and pray with them and let them pray with you and hold each other up and, and, and get involved in fellowship and that will pull you out of your discouragement. Number four, shift your focus off yourself onto serving others. This is great. This is really, really good. The best way to overcome discouragement is to start serving. Start serving. Serve someone else. Look down at verse 15. You see this in the story. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came. And go to the desert of Damascus. And when you get there, anoint Haziel, king over Aram. And also anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, over Israel. And anoint Elisha, the son of Shaphat. From, from Abel, uh, Mahola, to succeed you as a prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escape by the sword of Haziel, and Elisha will put to death anyone who escapes the sword of Jehu. Discouragement has a way of keeping you me focused. Discouragement is all about belly button gazing. It's all about me, myself, and I. It keeps you looking internally, and it keeps you from doing what God has called us to do. God's remedy, after he has refreshed us physically, is to say, okay, now get back out there on the playing field. I'm not done with you yet. It's not time to hang up your cleats. Get out there on the field and get back into battle. He'll refresh you physically first. He'll, you need that time of rest. You need to hear God's still small voice. You need to let Him begin to speak to your heart and spirit once again. But, but when after He's refreshed you with the food and the water and, and, and God's Word, uh, then He kicks you back out and says, Quit feeling sorry for yourself. Get out there and anoint somebody. Get out there and get busy in my kingdom. Uh, Get your mind off your problems. Get back to my mission, living and serving others. You you see, when God called Elijah to be his great prophet, it was not for God's benefit. God could have used anybody else. God will use whoever he wants to to get his kingdom work done. But he was putting Elijah back on the playing field for Elijah's benefit. Elijah needed to get busy serving and following the the Lord uh, and, and anointing and doing the work that God had called him to do. It was for Elijah's benefit. Serving is a privilege, it's a privilege we have in the kingdom of God, it is a gift of God. Listen to me, we get to serve his people. It is incredible. We get to give, and we get to love, and we get to serve. And I want to tell you, giving, loving, serving people are rarely depressed. Say it one more time. Giving, loving, serving people are rarely depressed. It is the key to the most exciting joy-filled life. Some of you think, well, pastor, I don't have the time. I just, I love to serve in the church. I, I love to get involved in evangelism. I love to do this or that, but you don't understand how busy my schedule is. I just don't have the time. Listen to me. You don't know what you're missing out on in life. You don't know how exciting it is what an adventure it is some of you may say well pastor i'm not qualified i just don't have the qualifications it takes listen look around faith assembly of god if god could use a goofball like me and all the other goofballs serving in ministry around here he can use you just just look around a little bit you look around and you begin to think i'm overqualified Some won't serve until they achieve some level of excellence. If you're waiting for that to happen in yourself, you will never do anything good for God because you'll never be good enough. Simply jump into the river of of God's grace and let God use you. We are blessed at Faith Assembly. We've got a whole army of servants in this church. We We are so blessed. Uh, we've got people right now that aren't in service because they're back ministering to our kids, our boys and girls, and our junior high, and there's a whole Raft of workers back there. And, and, and to make a service run, there's people in the booth and there's musicians. And we've got people at the foyer's greeting when you come in and when you go out. There's people getting the welcome centers ready. Uh, there's, serve, there's some at nursing homes this morning serving. There's those that go into the prisons on Thursday night. We've got people serving somewhere in some ministry at Faith Assembly of God. I would like everybody who's involved in a ministry, one of a a faith assembly of God ministry. I want you to stand up right now. Everyone stand. You're involved in some kind of ministry. Look at this army. Give these guys a hand. They are are awesome. Now, Now listen to me. At faith assembly of God, our mission is to fuel you up but it 's always to get you out on the playing field to get you back out there and and when you do that, I want to tell you it'll be the best thing that'll happen in your life now, let me tell you what happened to elijah i 'm going to fast forward a minute we 're going to look at elisha next week. but when elisha went out and anointed Elijah went out and anointed elisha, he met a partner and a successor for his ministry. In fact, I will tell you he met his very best friend. And from that day on, from the moment he met Elisha, Elijah would never, ever be alone again. To the very last day when he is taken up in a chariot of fire, Elisha would be right by his side. Some of the greatest people you will ever meet in your life are fellow servants. And what I want to challenge every one of you to do is we start a brand new year is get connected with other people in the body of Christ. We have life groups that are starting up, as you saw the correction this week. Get one of your announcement things on your way out the door and find a life group to get involved in. We have mid-sized groups that we call men's fraternity that's focused on men and ladies' sisterhood that's focused on ladies. And so if you're single or you just want to hang with men or ladies, they've got times for you guys to get involved in those areas of ministries we have ministries for every single age group in our church from young adults momentum all the way up to senior adults there's areas to get involved in we need servants i need workers and what will happen is when you get involved and you sign up for a place to serve you'll also meet some of your best buddies because you'll be working shoulder to shoulder with them and so you can sign up ushers greeters we need people and children we need people in youth we need people in every area of ministry. I will tell you when you get in really involved serving, it is one of the keys to a joy-filled life because God made you and designed you to serve. That's what God is calling us to do because you're no longer focusing on your own self. It's no longer all about you. Now it's about you taking God's love and sharing it with other people. And I don't mean to imply that all ministry goes on within these four walls. Listen, wherever you go, you're a minister and you're sharing the love of Jesus Christ. And you do that at the workplace and you do that wherever you go. And and you love people in your neighborhood and that's all a part of it. But serve somebody. Take care of your next door neighbor. Go stop in and talk to them and bake them a cake and visit with them and pray with them and see what's going on in their life and see how you can help them. There are hurting, broken people all around us. And when you begin to get out of yourself and you begin to reach out and serve, God begins to pour his life back into you. And you receive God's grace and you receive God's love and you receive God's mercy and then you give it out again and again and again. Great fellowship of believers and servants that, Make up the body of Christ at faith assembly of God. I want to encourage you. If you have not yet connected. It's a great time to do so right now. Best days are still ahead. Sometimes our volunteers, sometimes our staff, they get weary in well-doing. But let, take heart from this story of Elijah. God's not trying to kill you, but he wants to speak softly. And he wants to say, Elijah, I see where you're at. And I know what you're going through. And I know what you're experiencing right now. And there's, a, there's a 7,000 others I have out there that I care about. And I care about you. Uh, and now it's time to get back out in my harvest field. Book of James, you come down to the end of the Gospels, the end of the New Testament, and you come across a little book called James. And he writes in chapter 5, he has an interesting phrase. He says, Elijah was a man of like passions like as we are. He's got, he, uh, he had like passions like us. He says, a lot like everybody else. Uh, and now, we like to think of Elijah and being like him in his victory. But I think often we're like him in his time of discouragement. And we're like him in that time of depression. And this series is all about finding yourself in God's story. And so after. Uh, 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 after his trial and his running and his cave experience, Elijah would never, ever be the same again. You never see him go down that valley of discouragement again. He spends the rest of his ministry focusing on Elisha and mentoring him and raising him up. And God gave him direction. And he says, go anoint this king and go anoint this prophet to follow you. And he was refreshed and he heard the voice of the Lord and he received a fresh vision of faith and he came out of his cave to do the Lord's will. Now, if you're going through some of that cave experience today, the Lord wants to speak to your heart. His Holy Spirit's here. I hope he's been speaking through his word already. If you're in a cave of discouragement, if you're in a cave of fear, if you are anxious, if you're depressed, God wants to tell you what to do. God wants to tell you where to go. And God wants to bring you out. Step out of your cave. And the moment you do, the moment you hear his voice and step out of that cave and obey, obey him, that anointing will once again begin to flow in your life and your ministry. And the joy will come back. Where the anointing is, is, the joy of the Lord. Thanks for listening. For more, check out faithishere.org.